We're going to continue in our study of the epistle of James. So I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And today we're going to be looking at verses 22 to 25. And I am going to, for context, begin at verse 19 and read through verse 25. James chapter 1, for reading purposes, verse 19 through 25. This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word of God and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, He has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. Father, as we come before your word today, Lord, I pray, Lord God, that in our hearts we would be humble. And Lord, we would not make assumptions, but Father, that the Holy Spirit would open our ears to hear what the Spirit has to say. Therefore, Father, speak today, Lord, according to your blessed will. We ask you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we looked at the doer of the Word of God. And this is the one who simply is a performer. It's someone who does. It's a a performer of the word and of the will of God. The one who by faith in Jesus Christ has a living and an active faith. Remember, I keep telling you about this epistle of James is about a living and active faith. And last week we contrasted that against an intellectual passive faith, right? The intellectual faith is more like, well, I believe in certain facts about the gospel. I believe in certain facts about Jesus Christ. But the net impact of that gospel is it has impenetrated the heart. It has impenetrated the soul. You're likely to find people who say, well, I believe that. I believe that. Or they may say, well, my faith is a private matter. Or I'm not a fanatic like you right? And what you see is a passive faith, one that is not engaged, one that has not apprehended the word of God, has not united it by faith, and whose lives are not so much testimonies for Christ. Passive Christians may live a a very moral and virtuous life. Passive faith may memorize scripture, may be faithful in attendance in church, may like all of the moral values, may like many of the religious values, but the word 
has not penetrated their hearts. Today we're going to see that James says this is contrasted by the doer, by the performer. So he says there's two kinds of people, one that hears and one that does. And it's important to realize here, it's very important to realize that the doer is not justified by their deeds. They're not justified before God. It's not their works that save them. Right? It's really important that we, we, we realize this. But rather, the works are the result of a faith that has penetrated their lives. It brings forth fruits of righteousness. And there's a marked difference between the one who hears the word of God and the one who does the word of God. The one who hears but disobeys or is indifferent to the word of God reveals a character that hasn't been changed by the gospel. A changed life marks the doer of the word of God. I really want you to really come to understand that it is a changed life if any man is in christ he is a new creation all of the old things have passed away and behold everything has become new when we read hebrews 11 we don't read of people that pondered the word of god we don't read of people that were so uh, so amazingly intelligent and intellectual with their thoughts of God. When we read Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, we read about people who did the will and the word of God. God is calling men and women even this very day to that same place in Christ. As a matter of fact, James says in in verse 21, he says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all remains of wickedness, in humility receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Believers have always been marked by their obedience to the word and to the will of God. Today in verse 22, we're going to look at the second part of that. We're going to contrast that against the hearer of the word. And in doing so, we're going to realize that James encourages these believers that their faith is indeed living and active. In other words, God's desire is that every person who professes the name of Jesus Christ would be a living, active, vibrant faith that takes place in their lives. And as I mentioned to you at the very onset of this, James, the epistle of James, is all about faith, living an active faith. And he tells us that that faith is evidenced through various tests. Originally, he told us that faith is evidence in how we respond to trials in our life. And that was in verses 1 through 12. And then from 12 through 18, he tells us faith is evident in how we respond to temptations in our life. And now we see that James is telling us faith becomes evident. We re how do we respond? What's the test? The response is how we respond to the word of God. So let's take a look at verse 22. 
Here James writes, Prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. James' admonition is to prove, to prove yourselves doers of the word. And the word there specifically the gospel. Any contrast that, how many times you've heard me say that you look in scripture, there are always a contrast compare, contrast compare, contrast compare. He says, prove yourself to be doers. Don't prove yourselves to be hearers of the word. And he goes on to say that, that these hearers, what they merely do is they delude themselves. They deceive themselves into believing that they're something that they're really not. That word prove means to refer. It refers to a, a change of condition. There is a change of condition in the doer. They go from passivity. Or maybe they go from very proactive sinning. But all of a sudden they change. They delight themselves in the law of God. They delight themselves in the will of God. They have an earnest desire to please God. Time and time again, people often ask me, and I've said this millions of times, how do you know if you're really saved? How do you know? I mean, I made a profession. I, I was baptized. I walked in the aisle. How do you know? And the answer for me, as I see in the scriptures, pretty clear. The answer tends to be, do you hunger and desire? Do you thirst for God? Or is God and Christ and the gospel just something that you do on Sunday? Do you go Saturday evening, oh, we got church tomorrow. And that's your highest thought of God? Does the Spirit of God prompt you and provoke you and call you into deeper fellowship with himself? Do you learn? Do you yearn? Do you delight in God's law? Where is the word of God in your life? What is the emphasis of the word of God in your life? Is there a premium in your life for the word of God? Listen, that's very, very telling. Psalm 1 and 2, the psalmist says, uh, speaking of the believer, he said, his delight is in the law of God. One of the blessings that, that I love the most is, I think I love studying the word of God, preparing for messages, preparing for Bible study, I think I'd love that more than anything else because it's when I'm alone with God, when I open up the word of God, how God speaks to me. You know I say this, right? Don't read the word of God. Study the word of God. Go deep into the word of God. Let the word of God speak to your heart. Do you delight in the word of God? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Is your mindset, is your will... Lord, I want to do that which pleases you. I can tell you from practical experience, and it's been the testimony of my own life, that so many times the desire is so greater than what I do. I want to go further 
I want to go deeper. Father, I want to have a greater impact for the kingdom of God. I'll share something with you. It is that, that very thought that consumes me. It consumes me. And it's a passion that in many times is torturous, <laughs> if I could use that term. I so desperately want to see men and women touched by the gospel. The heart is that to see many come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. When I wake up, it's Christ. At midday, it's Christ. In the evening, it's Christ. When I go to bed, it's Christ. And it's an unrelenting preoccupation with the things of God. Paul, in writing to Titus in Titus chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, says this. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. Praise God for that, right? I don't know about you, but praise God that he didn't save us on our deeds of righteousness. How did he save us then? Paul writes Titus, he said, according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior the result of a new life in Jesus Christ is that the believer in Christ, the doer, has been changed by God. He has been washed. He has been regenerated. He has been born again. He has been born from heaven, born anew by God. And what used to be our propensity to have our will and our way now becomes a propensity to seek God's will and do it God's way. This is what Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, right? Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. The doer of the word reflects that change. Their hearts and their lives are changed. And they be, begin pursuing God and God's holiness, which ends, by the way, which ends in complete sanctification and eternal life. This is the response of the doer to the word of God. Hearers are those who hear the gospel, like it for all of its moral and religious content, but who do not submit themselves to the will and the word of God. I mentioned to you I call these passive Christians. That's not meant as a, a derogatory insult. Simply that it means that they're passive. They're passive to the word of God. They're not compelled by the word of God. They're not urged by the word of God. And let me tell you something. Passive Christians fill sanctuaries all over this country. They fill auditoriums 
They buy Christian books. They may have a Bible by their bedside. They love the religious formality and may even know the Word of God. But they do not know God. And there's a big change. Martin Lloyd-Jones, whom you know I love, and I'm getting to love more and more each day, Martin Lloyd-Jones has this great quote that I'm going to share with you. He says, the most vital question to ask about all who claim to be Christian is this. Have they a soul thirst for God? Is their life centered on Him? Do they press forward more and more that they might know Him? That's a very serious question for us to ponder. An intellectual faith is a passive faith that results in indifference. And I'll share something with you. Passivity is, is probably the most dangerous sin. It's the most dangerous sin. Because with passivity comes a self-righteousness that I am good in and of myself. Therefore, I don't need external influence by the Word of God. Failure to obey the Word of God reflects a character that the Word and the Spirit have not changed. They have not changed. And I've always said this, our commitment to Christ should match our confession of Christ. In other words, if we profess ourselves to be Christians, then the fruit of our life should reflect that confession. Amen. And I'm a Christian, right? But all too often today, you see many people who make the confession of being a Christian whose commitment is nowhere near that. And that wouldn't go for any other aspect of our life. Look at 1 John 2, verses 3 and 4. And by this we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. And I want you to know that that word for know, K-N-O-W, I've talked about this when we did our, our study of 1 John means to know experientially. doesn't mean to know intellectually. It's the combination of the intellectual resulting in the experiential knowledge of God. Look what John says. The one who's come to know him, and by this we know we've come to know him, if we keep his commandments. There's the doer. That's the doer right there. Right? The one who has experienced and the one who does, who follows the will and the word of God. And the other one is the hearer, the one I said I come to know him and does not keep his commandments. He is a liar. Titus 1.16, speaking of the hearer, says this, they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good. The one who is a doer of the gospel reflects the changed character, a submission to the will of God. 
the doer of the word of God, have always, believers have always been characterized by their exploits of faith. Notice here in verse 22 what James also says. He says, the one who don't be a hearer of the word, who deludes himself. To delude means, actually the, the, the term there for the term delude means to miscalculate. That's what it means. It means to miscalculate, right? So when James says, you know, hearers who delude, what are they miscalculating? Well, they're miscalculating their faith. They're miscalculating their position in Jesus Christ. Notice the contrast and the compare again. The doer is active. The doer is living. The doer is vibrant. The doer is proving that which has changed their very life. The hearer hears the word of God and may even agree with the word of God. But they miscalculate their position. They miscalculate their salvation in Jesus Christ. And that is an eternal mistake. Many times they reconcile their definition of faith according to their view of justice, mercy, and goodness. Therein is the miscalculation, is it not? Because the only way that we are reconciled in Jesus Christ is according to God's definition of mercy and grace and forgiveness. Church, it's imperative. This is imperative. We must get the gospel correct. We must get it right. We must come to complete surrender and faith in Jesus Christ, and we must examine ourselves in light of the Scripture proving that we are doers of the word of God and not merely hearers. The proof of our desire for Christ will always be revealed in our pursuit of Christ. No pursuit, no proof. Look at verses 23 and 24. Continuing on this theme, James writes, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person that he is. We had previously mentioned that, that James is showing a third test here of faith. How does one respond to the word of God? How does one respond to the word of God? And he's continuing this contrast between hearer and doer. By the way, the word hearer, it simply means a listener. That's all it means. So the one who hears is the one who listens. And it's, as I previously mentioned, it's those who take an intellectual approach to the gospel. This can be seen in people who You know, as I previously mentioned, people who say that their faith is a private matter, that they don't, they choose not to discuss faith with other people. You know, it's private for me. I'm not a fanatic. I have many, many friends of mine. 
dear friends of mine who, who would fall into that category, right? That they hear the word of God, but obedience becomes optional. I had a dear friend of mine once tell me, he said, you know, there's a difference between me and you. I said, what's that? He goes, I think of you as a religious person, but I'm a spiritual person. And I said, really? He then proceeded to tell me how he consults with medians. He does all these uh, other different extra-biblical, quite frankly, satanic type of spiritism type thing. So I'm religious, he's spiritual. And I, I, I responded to him and I said, listen, I'm just going to tell you something. I couldn't be religious, I said, because the Christian faith is spiritual in nature. Therefore, you may think you're spiritual, I said, but without the Holy Spirit, you don't know what spiritual is, right? And this was a, a really, really good friend of mine at the time who, who shared this with me. Listen, Scripture warns repeatedly about such an indifferent type of faith. In 2 Timothy 3.7, Paul makes this extraordinary statement one of the statements, one of the warning passages that I think are one of the most profound in all of Scripture, he talks about in latter days how many in the church are going to fall away from the faith. They're going to fall away from the faith. So when you read 2 Timothy 3, this isn't the world that's out there, outside. He's talking about what's going to happen in the church. And he writes these words of these people. Always learning and learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, I want you to think about that for a moment. How terrifying is that? You're learning more and more and more and more and more, but you're not coming to the knowledge of the truth. Christian faith is about objective truth. And it is the objective truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that Christ came, that Christ came and lived a life and was tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. And that Christ came and he offered himself a ransom for all who would put their faith in Jesus Christ. And Christ lived and Christ died a sinless life. And nobody took Christ's life he laid it down so that all who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ would come and they would be born again and they would find new life in Christ, that Christ paid the penalty for their sin upon the cross, that Christ atoned for their sin, the innocent for the guilty, that Christ was buried, that Christ died a physical death, that he was buried placed in the tomb, and on the third day, raised physically, physically, he raised from the dead, 
to show that God had accepted his offering, that God has now defeated sin and death, that all who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will have eternal life. And I want to make a comment of that. That does not mean life perpetually. Eternal life is life perpetually in the presence of God. It's not that we just go on living and, you know, we watch TV every night. It's that we now can live in the presence of God, that because of Jesus Christ, sin no longer separates us from the holy living God. We can have that experientially, and I'll share something else with you. Eternal life begins the day you, a man or woman, come to the place of repentance and faith in Christ. On that day, you will know eternal life. And I'm going to tell you something. The word of God says it's appointed unto all men to die once and the judgment. But for the believer, we close our eyes on this side of eternity. And immediately we open our eyes on the other side of eternity in the presence of God Almighty. Praise God that because of Jesus Christ, that he saved us from the penalty of sin. He saved us from the power of sin. And a day is coming when he will save us from the presence of sin altogether. Altogether. That is objective truth. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was witnessed by over 500 people. History has been changed based on the resurrection. And it's only now in this current age that people want to push aside the resurrection. The unbelievers of the world push it aside. We're not going to mark, we're not going to mark history by that. But there's no doubt. Let me tell you something. Muhammad never raised again from the dead. He didn't bear the sins of anybody. Krishna didn't bear the sins of anybody. Moses didn't bear the sins of anybody. Only one person in history took upon himself the penalty of sin, the just for the unjust. And that person is Jesus Christ. And him and him alone which is why it is imperative. It is absolutely vital and necessary. Believe me, this is the crux of Christian. Look, we're going to come to the table of the Lord today. What are we celebrating? A guy who died and never rose again? No, we celebrate his death. Why do we celebrate a death? The answer is simple, because he rose and our faith, if we call ourselves Christians, must be rooted in that Christ. And that Christ, when we come to him in repentance and faith, changes us. He changes us. And he gives us a new life in Christ. Speaking of hearers in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, Paul warns Timothy yet again regarding hearers when he states, for a time will come 
when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. As far as the United States is concerned, as far as the Western world has come, guess what? The time has come. People are abandoning the faith in droves. And I want to share something about that. A lot of people panic when they say, oh, did you hear this one and that one? And I pay no attention to that. You know why? Because the Apostle John says that they went out of us to prove that they were not of us. So those who remain in the historic faith of Christianity, although we may be few, we hold. For many are called, as our Lord said, but few are chosen. The writer of Hebrews warns against just hearing the gospel in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, when he writes, For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. He encourages us. You've heard the gospel. He encourages you. You heard the gospel. Now you have to pay serious attention to it. Lest you drift away, that term drift away gives the imagery of a, of a boat that is not moored to the dock. In other words, the boat pulls up to the dock, there's no one who moors it, consequently what happens? The tide comes in and gently begins to move and move that boat away. That's unbelief. People who hear the gospel don't respond to the gospel, that's unbelief. Slowly and steadily, slowly and steadily, the enemy of our soul comes and deceives us and deludes us. The writer of Hebrews says, pay close attention. The call of the gospel, the call of faith in Jesus Christ, listen, is a call to complete and absolute surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ. James here in verse 23, he says, the one who is a hearer of the word of God is like a man who looks at himself in a mirror. You know, mirrors in the first century weren't made of, of glass. They were made of bronze, highly polished brass. And if you've ever seen your reflection in glass depend, um, in brass, depending on how it bends, it'll give you kind of a distorted image. They weren't the crystal clear mirrors that we have today. As a matter of fact, those mirrors came out, I think, around the 12th or 13th century. Paul says here, one who is a hearer, it's like a man who looks at himself in a natural mirror for once he has looked at himself and gone away, he immediately has forgotten what kind of person he is. The whole point here is James states that the reflection is temporary. The reflection is temporary. And when that person goes away, they really don't have a good recollection of, of what they saw. It is going to be dim. He equates the hearer of the word of God to this kind of situation. 
They may like the sound of the gospel, enjoy the fellowship with the saints, enjoy the songs of the faith. But when they are away from these things, they return to the actual person that they are. And this goes back to James' admonition in verse 22, when he writes, And not merely hearers who delude themselves. A.W. Tozer, another fan favorite of mine, (laughs) has this quote, Obedience in Christ proves we love him. And in return, he shows himself to us. Simply hearing then is like looking in a mirror dimly. But once you are gone, you don't know the person you are. You are deceived. You are deluded. Look at verse 25. Again, contrast, compare. So to hear is the one who looks in a mirror and he sees dimly and, and once he's gone, he forgets the type of person he is, but look at verse 25. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. Let me emphasize again that Paul James is speaking to the test of how we respond to the Word of God. I know I've mentioned that three times. But this is imperative that we get this. How we respond to the Word of God is an indicator of whether our faith is living and active or whether we're deceiving ourselves. The hearer does just that. But the doer has searched the word of God. Look what he says here in verse 25. The one who looks intently at the perfect law of God. That means to to actually, what it actually carries is the meaning of one who stoops and peers deeply into something, but figuratively, metaphorically how it's being used here. It's being used to look carefully, to look deep, to search into the Word of God. The doer of the Word of God inspects. The doer of the Word of God searches. The doer of the Word of God looks carefully with a spiritual curiosity into the Word of God. One of the greatest blessings I love about our Bible study on Tuesday night is this, is that I, I, I get the opportunity to hear people say, I've looked at this passage before, and I've never seen what I have seen tonight, how God has taken the Word of God. And then usually that's followed up and they say, you know, I've been... I've been re-looking at that parable again. I've been re-looking at that passage. Why? Because the doer of the word of God looks into the word of God with a deep and abiding spiritual curiosity. When the word of God reveals to the doer his sinfulness, when the word of God reveals the perfect law of God, then there's something else that happens. 
The doer abides in it. That word abides, a great word. It means to remain closely beside, to be near, to continually be near. Unlike the hearer who looks at himself and the word uh, looks at himself and the word of God and is here today and gone tomorrow, the doer of the word searches the scripture, yields to its truth, and becomes effectual. He becomes effectual. Someone who accomplishes something. That's what that means. Someone who accomplishes something. So the doer becomes effectual because the doer is accomplishing the work, the will, and the word of God. Our attitude toward the word of God reveals much concerning our spiritual lives. Apathy, indifference, and laziness toward God's word reveal a cold heart toward God. Listen, there's, there's no other way of getting around that. The desire for theological facts and acquiring facts show a heart missing the yearning for the practical life-changing truths of the word of God. Listen, the Pharisees had a lot of theological, and I'm going to say this, good knowledge. Not everything they had was bad. They had a lot of good knowledge based on the revealed word of God that was available in that day. Yet, they failed to recognize the Messiah upon his coming. The doer of the word of God searches the scripture for its truth. He abides in it. He loves it. They love it. And the most importantly, they obey it. They obey it. Because the doer of the word of God knows that these are the very words of God. And that is the difference between the hearer and the doer of the word of God. Verse 25 ends with this, speaking of the effectual doer. It ends with, this man shall be blessed in what he does. What does it mean that this man shall be blessed in one of what he does? It means this person will have the favor of God upon them. They'll have the favor of God upon them. In 1 Samuel 15, the prophet Samuel rebukes Saul the king for offering up a sacrifice that it wasn't his to do. And in 1 Samuel 15, 22, the prophet Samuel says this, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Listen to these words. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. James has shown us that the believer's heart is to delight in obeying God's word. Remember a few weeks ago when James wrote, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Remember that? I said quick to hear is let us be quick to hear. Let us acquire. Let us listen to sound teaching, sound preaching. Let us, we can't get enough of it. Let's keep getting enough of it. Quick to hear, slow to speak. 
Let us not be flippant with the word of God. Let every word have its appropriate weightiness. Let it have a gravitas to it. Let us not be just throwing verses out that we don't even understand the context or the meaning. And then it said, slow to anger. And all of this is in response to the word of God. When the word of God reproves us, when the word of God convicts us, when the word of God brings us to a place and we go, this is a tough pill to swallow. Then we're not to respond with this simmering anger and get angry at the word of God. I mentioned this in the very beginning. Psalm 1-2, speaking of the believer, says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Where is our delight? That's the question. Is it in the things of the world? Or is it in Christ? Where are we in response to this test, to the word of God? I'll close with this statement from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says, I'm not asking whether you know things about him, but do you know God? Are you enjoying God? Is God the center of your life, the soul of your being, the source of of your greatest joy. He is meant to be. Everything in this word of God, everything that every church is intended to do is not to give you a nice experience, but is to bring forth the word of God so that it would speak to our hearts, that it would challenge our hearts. And that in submission and yielding to the word of God, we would find true life in Christ. Let's bow in a word of prayer.